Good morning. For those of you who may be visiting, uh, you've heard our uh, Pastor John is in Kenya this week, and I am A.T. Stoddard, one of the elders here, and we'll be bringing you the message this morning. Uh, he did preach in uh, Nairobi in the church there this morning and was traveling uh, to Kisumu to start his classes uh, tomorrow, which won't be that long from now, in Kenya. So our text this morning, we will be looking at Genesis 15, a portion of that, Genesis 17, a portion of that, and if you do have a Bible, I, I would suggest you keep it handy because we will also be referring to sections from Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis 22, uh, as God really lays out his covenant promise to Abraham. So beginning with Genesis 15, I will read the first six verses. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And then from chapter 17, the first eight verses. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be shameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word, a record of how you have worked in history, and yet the promise of what is to come and the salvation you provide through your own Son. Father, speak to us now through your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts 
be pleasing to you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you, have you ever had the opportunity to look up at the night sky on a dark night, far away from the lights of the city? It's one of my favorite things to do out camping, is to be able to look up at the stars on a clear night. I can't count the stars from my home out here in the backyard in, in West Jordan, although sometimes it seems like there are so few that are visible, maybe I could. But when I see the stars on a clear night, without all that light interference, it's amazing how many more stars you can see. I really like to look up at the, uh, the sky on a cold, clear winter night. The entire sky is just lit up with stars. So many more beyond what we can see, even on the clearest night in the city. That vision of the sky on a cold, clear, moonless night gives us more of an understanding of God's promise to Abraham when he tells him his offspring will be numbered like the stars in the sky. I don't think God was giving a literal number, but rather telling Abraham his offspring would be too many for us to count. This morning we're going to consider how the Great Commission is God directly keeping his promise to Abraham. Our passages this morning are just a portion of the promises God made to Abraham, and we will look at some of the other statements of those promises as well in some of these other passages. But as a starting reference, I want to read the Great Commission so it is fresh in our minds as we then consider God's covenant promise to Abraham. The Great Commission is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're going to look at how this great commission is part of the fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham. First, we will look at God's promises that he made to Abraham. And then we will look specifically at the fulfillment of the promises in the Great Commission. And third, we will look at how the nations are blessed by this promise to Abraham. So first, let's consider God's promise to Abraham. God establishes a covenant with Abram, as he was known at the time, when we first meet him. A covenant is much like a contractual agreement. There's a statement of what each party agrees to, the penalties for non-performance are spelled out. In the cases of God's covenants with man, God unilaterally establishes the covenant. He determines all the conditions and the terms of that agreement. God's covenant with Abram, who is soon, as we saw it, would be called Abraham, is actually established and laid out in stages. 
We looked at two of these in our passages in Genesis 15 and 17. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram to leave his country and go to a new land. God tells Abram in, back in chapter 12 that in him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram then responds and leaves his home in Ur of the Chaldeans and travels to the land God shows him. We read sections of chapters 15 and 17 as Abram is given more details of the covenant and God's promises. Later, in Genesis chapter 22, God reiterates that promise that in Abraham all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So let's look at God's promise in his covenant with Abraham in a little more detail. In verse 1 of Genesis 15, God says, Your reward shall be very great. Abram then questions God. What will you give me? Now, I don't think Abram is challenging God at that point. He just doesn't see how this will work. He's now old. He's childless. His closest heir is Eleazar of Damascus. Think, oh, his name, Abram, means father of many. Imagine his position. Right? He was prominent. He undoubtedly dealt with many traitors. He was old. He was well-respected. He meets somebody. Hi, what's your name? I'm Abram, father of many. Well, how many sons do you have? I don't have any. How many people smirked when they heard that? I had just met the great father of many who has no children. We don't really know who Eleazar was. There's a likely possibility, as he's described as a servant, that this was a financial or a banking establishment uh, rather than an individual. Damascus was a center of commerce. The banker or financial servant may have been the heir to Abram since Abram was childless. Surely this did not seem like a great reward to Abram. Think how you would feel knowing that your estate, and it doesn't matter how large or small it may be, but that it's going to go to your banker and the government. All your hard-earned savings will now pass to someone outside your family. You wouldn't think it was much of a reward either. Right? And in our day, wealthy people spend a lot of effort into avoiding taxes on their estates for the same reason. They want that to remain within their family as an inheritance. But God tells Abram that his own son shall be his heir. And then God expands on his promise. His offspring shall number like the stars in the sky. God showed Abram the land and now lets him know he shall possess that land. God seals the covenant in the verses following the passage we read in chapter 15. And I'd say that in itself is worth the sermon just on covenants and how God seals it. But for now, we want to consider that Abram believed God. That God counts his belief as righteousness. This is an important point that Paul refers to in both the books of Romans 
and Galatians. Well, this is not the, the focus of today's message. We can't just skip over the verse either. It, it's key to understanding the gospel and the doctrine of justification by faith alone. It's definitely not the first time we have examples of faith in the Old Testament, but it is the first clear link between faith and justification by faith alone. Genesis 15, 6, that verse is considered by many to be a pivotal verse in the Old Testament. Justification by faith alone was the key doctrine during the Reformation. Martin Luther said this was the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. John Calvin saw justification by faith alone as the main hinge on which religion turns. Thomas Watson, a Puritan of the English Reformation, called justification by faith alone the very hinge and pillar of Christianity. The Bible tells us that Abram believed God, but what did Abram believe? Abram believed the gospel. Now that may come as a surprise to you. Isn't the gospel revealed in the New Testament? Right? Isn't the Old Testament about obeying the law? How do we know that Abram believed the gospel? Well, we look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. Abraham believed long before the law was even given to Moses. So Abram believed the promise of redemption. Now, turning back to the reality of the moment, Sarai, his wife, had not yet born any children. In Genesis 16, which we did not read, but passed over, but we learn there that Sarai tells Abram to have a son with Hagar, her servant, to fulfill God's promise. As a result, Ishmael, Abram, at this point, Abram's first son, is born. Abram, what were you thinking? I mean, didn't God tell you that you would have a son? Did God tell you that you would have a son with someone other than your own wife? But don't we do the same thing? We get the idea that we have a promise from God and now we try to force it to happen. In this case, it didn't turn out that great for Abram. And in fact, it seldom turns out very well for us either when we try to force God's hand to fulfill some promise we think he may have made. And in this case, Sarai, Abram's wife, rejects Hagar and Abram's son, Ishmael. And we are still experiencing the repercussions today of the strife between the descendants of Isaac and Ishmael. But then God goes on to expand on his promise. And we read this section in chapter 17, where God continues to lay out his covenant promise to Abram, about to be renamed Abraham. Abram is told he'll be the father of a multitude of nations. And God gives him now that new name, Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Now imagine Abraham 
as he starts to tell everyone, he has a new name. I'm no longer the father of many. I'm the father of a multitude. And he only has one son. Right? Abraham's only offspring at this point is Ishmael. And that has not gone well. But God tells Abraham, I will make you into nations. Catch that. Nations is plural. Right? Not just one nation. And God says, kings will come from you. God establishes an everlasting covenant throughout the generations of Abraham's offspring. Sarai, his wife, is now given the name Sarah, because she shall become nations. Kings shall come from her. At this point, she is 90 years old and Abraham is 99. Abraham laughs at the idea. But Isaac is promised, and the covenant will be established with Isaac and his offspring. However, it isn't until chapter 21, we're in chapter 17, it's not until chapter 21 when Isaac is actually born. In the interim, Abraham is visited by angels in chapter 18. They repeat the promise of a son to Abraham. Now, Sarah is the one who laughs. But God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. We have the story of Lot. And you'd think, by now, Abraham really has to be wondering, how is God going to keep this promise? Although the angels told him it would be within the coming year. So Abraham is now 100 years old when Isaac is born. God continues to unfold his promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, which gives the record of God instructing Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. God again states his promise to Abraham in Genesis 22:18, after Abraham has taken Isaac up onto the mountain to be sacrificed in response to God's command, and God provides a ram caught in the bushes to be the sacrifice as a substitute. But here is the promise again. I will greatly multiply your descendants as the stars of the sky. Right? This is a repeat of what we have already heard. And as the sand on the seashore. So now God adds another illustration of the offspring of Abraham. And he goes on. And in your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This is similar to God's initial promise when he called Abram back in Genesis 12. And he said, in you, all the families of earth will be blessed. And now he says, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Well, Abraham dies, having seen the birth of his son Isaac, but he doesn't really see a nation established. Abraham does have six other sons after Sarah dies. How many of you knew how many sons Abraham had? That he had eight sons. Anyone? Probably not. We, we are familiar with two. There's another one that we read about, Midian. Uh, you may recall, Moses went to stay with the Midianites in the land of Midian when he left um, Egypt, fled Egypt after uh, killing the 
servant, the slave master there. But Abraham, six more sons, still only a small family. Abraham dies with no, other, no offspring from Isaac at that point, And he gives everything he has to his son Isaac. Now we'll jump forward. And Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob has 12 sons, one of whom was Joseph. And you'll recall the story of Joseph being sold into slavery, goes to Egypt, ends up uh, becoming a ruler, uh, really second only to Pharaoh under the famine. And then Jacob moves with his sons and their families to Egypt. And this is a fulfillment of what God had said would happen in Genesis 15, where he told Abraham that his descendants would be slaves and oppressed for 400 years. So they moved to Egypt, and the number, the number that went into Egypt with Jacob and his family was 70, not including the wives of Jacob's sons. So a few more than 70 went to Egypt. So at best, you maybe call this a, a large family, or if you're generous, maybe it's a clan at this point, but it's hardly a nation. There's only 70 plus some wives that aren't, aren't numbered in the, that number, or counted. But after 430 years, Israel leaves Egypt under the leadership of Moses. And God remembered his covenant with Israel. We learned this as we worked through the, the book of Exodus. And the number leaving Egypt was 600,000 men able to go to war, plus women and children. Although there, there's some debate about the actual number, it is clear there was a large number, and God was now establishing a nation. God is still continuing to fulfill that promise to Abraham several generations later. But that number still is not nearly as numerous as the stars in the sky. Right? As the nation is established, kings rule over Israel. Okay, another fulfillment of God, we have Saul, David, Solomon ruling as kings over the nation of Israel. Israel is a recognized nation. But we still do not see the blessing of Abraham extended to all the nations of the earth as God had promised. In fact, the Israelites are taken captive, go into exile, and are actually ruled by other nations. And so this now brings us to our, our second point, and that is the fulfillment of the covenant promised to Abraham is in the Great Commission. That the fullness of the promise to Abraham is seen in the Great Commission. Listen again to Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And it's also seen in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, where Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Although there, there are many references in the Old Testament to God's blessing being extended to the Gentiles, it is now 
very clearly stated that God's salvation is for Jews and Gentiles alike, making disciples of all nations and being witnesses to the end of the earth. As the gospel spreads, the promise of, to Abraham is being fulfilled as nations are reached and influenced by the proclamation of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that we are all born with a sinful nature because of the sin of Adam. We commit actual sins because we are sinful in our nature. We justly deserve the wrath of God. Jesus came to earth as a man, died on our behalf. God poured out his wrath on Jesus as our substitute. This is the atonement that Jesus bore God's wrath on our behalf as our substitute. Jesus rose from the dead, triumphant over sin and death, and all who place their faith in Christ are counted as righteous in God's sight, just as Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness. That faith is a gift from God and not our own. This is the true message of the gospel that we are to proclaim, that our salvation is not of works, but of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is the message we are to proclaim. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I've been reading through a book by J. Gresham Machen. It was written in 1923, uh, entitled Christianity and Liberalism. Uh, he was the founder of Westminster Seminary. At the time, he was contrasting the religion of modernity or liberal Christianity with true biblical Christianity. He made very clear that what was then called liberal Christianity was not Christianity at all, but an entirely different religion. We need to take a similar stand. We cannot waver. Not all churches that use the name of Jesus Christ proclaim the true gospel of the Bible and of Jesus Christ. As a church, we work to follow Christ's call to make disciples. We do this just in our gathering for worship, in the preaching of God's word. It is through reading and hearing God's word that we hear the gospel and that we grow in faith. The Bible says, how will they believe without hearing? Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We seek to make disciples through the sacraments as we witness baptism, as we celebrate together the Lord's Supper, being reminded of Christ's work and his sacrifice for us. We also seek to make disciples through the teaching of God's word in our community groups and in our Bible studies. We are all called to make disciples. Right? The Great Commission is not just for pastors, elders, or missionaries. It is for all of us. First, so how do we begin? Begins in the home. Right? Disciple your children. Husband and wives, disciple one another. Encourage one another. Be involved in one of our groups. We have multiple community groups and Bible studies that meet at different times. And take advantage 
of that opportunity. And let me also say that, that even though you may not feel you need to be involved for yourself, others in the group may need you, and you will contribute to making disciples. Seek another person with whom to meet. Iron sharpens iron. Disciple another person. Be an encouraging person to another. We've looked at, at the Great Commission and, and making disciples, but God also promised Abraham that in him all the nations and families of the earth would be blessed. So that brings us to the third point, and that is that God's promise to Abraham was that all the nations would be blessed. So how are the nations blessed in the fulfillment of that promise? It is through Christ, the Great Commission, and his church that this promise is fulfilled. Look again at Acts 1.8. The disciples were to be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So it may help to understand the geography. Jerusalem was a city. It was the principal city, center of the Jewish life. The temple was in Jerusalem. Devout Jews would regularly travel to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is just connected with the Jewish people. Judea is the area immediately around Jerusalem, so it's expanding. It is still the area that is the home of the Jews, but then we go to Samaria. Samaria was to the north. And the Samaritans were considered outcasts by many Jews. Right? They, they were related, but you may recall that everyone was astonished and surprised when Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman by the well. Jesus chose a Samaritan to be an illustration in one of his parables that we just always refer to as the Good Samaritan. Uh, and so the expansion from the city of Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and then he goes on to the end of the earth. So being a witness in Samaria meant going to people of a different culture, people with whom you might be uncomfortable. And then to the end of the earth is once we get beyond Judea and Samaria, we are talking about Christ's witness to Gentiles. At the time, most of the known world was occupied and ruled by Rome. Uh, Some of these areas would have included other long-time enemies of Israel. And you may recall that at this time, the Jews were looking for a Messiah, but the Messiah they were looking for was to be a military leader who would free them from that Roman rule and and the tyranny of Rome. Christianity did spread quickly throughout the Roman Empire. We see that just in the record of Paul's missionary journeys and the letters recorded for us in the New Testament. But there are also many other historical records of the gospel spreading throughout the, the known world at the time. The nations are blessed as the gospel spreads throughout the world. This was the promise to Abraham, to whom the gospel was preached beforehand, as we read in Galatians, God's promise is fulfilled in the gospel as it reaches people in all nations. First, there are temporal blessings that occur. God's people are called to be good citizens. God's law provides a 
rule of, of basic morality. And most nations that have been influenced by Christianity at, at some point have had laws written based on God's laws. Now don't get me wrong, that doesn't always hold true because of the evil nature of men. But however, the, the influence of, God does, of God's law does help to restrain evil. It doesn't prevent all evil, but it is influential in restraining evil. God's people are to submit to lawful government authorities. So there is a general influence of Christianity which improves society. But more importantly, there are eternal benefits as the gospel reaches people in nations throughout the world. This is the true blessing that God promised to Abraham. The gospel is to be spread to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every family throughout the world. The blessing of the gospel is eternal life in Jesus. In Jesus, there is no Jew nor Gentile. We are to be one as God's people. Those who are of faith are the true descendants of Abraham, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 9, verse 8. It is the children of the promise who are regarded as descendants. So how do we fulfill this call to be God's witnesses to the ends of the earth? Well, first, I think we should think about our own geography. Right? We are to be his witnesses in our own neighborhoods, individually to our neighbors and friends. This is something all of us can do. Let me share an example. One of our members who isn't able to get out easily uh, has visits with neighbors and continues to be a witness sharing the gospel. We should be witnesses in Salt Lake County. This can be directly through our church, also cooperation with the other churches in Salt Lake County. But we also are called to be witnesses in Utah County, now it's the south, not north, maybe I should have said Davis County, but surrounding counties into the state of Utah. Right? And we, we are doing that with our support and cooperation with Loving Utah as a ministry and with All Saints Reformed Church down in St. George. And finally, we're called to be witnesses to the end of the earth. And so we are looking to support other ministries, the Yakima Nation um, in Ireland, Colombia, and, and Kenya, which we heard about today. And I don't know where the end of the earth is necessarily, but Kenya is just about as far away as you can get from Salt Lake City and still be on the earth, basically the other side. And so we, we cooperate there. We can go. Our pastor is there now. There are opportunities others could go, but together we support that. And We'd start with our own neighborhood and that geography, and we're looking to expand to the end of the earth. So brothers and sisters, we, you and me, right, we have been given a role to fulfill God's covenant promise to Abraham. He has continually been fulfilling that promise from one son born to Abraham to a clan or family traveling to Egypt to a nation coming out of Egypt and now reaching all the nations of the earth 
through the proclamation of the gospel. May we be faithful in working to spread the gospel and see God's fulfillment of his covenant promise to Abraham. So let me pray. Father, we do just thank you for this covenant promise to Abraham and your record of continually working to fulfill that promise and that sending your son, you made it very clear. What was hidden is now seen very clearly and that your son is the fulfillment, but yet for completion of that promise, you call on us as your church to continue to spread the gospel, to provide that blessing that you promised to Abraham to all the nations of the earth. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.